I want to talk this morning about really my main message, my only message that I kind of have, and it's the message of God's radical grace. And for the past 15 years, I've just been stirring up uh, hope and life in people's stories when they're going through some difficult seasons. I spend a lot of my time counseling and, and working with people when they're, they're going through those valley experiences and those crises and those, the pain and trauma. And uh, I really do believe that I've got the greatest job in the world uh, because I just get to help people love their not-so-perfect story. And how many of you this morning have a not-so-perfect story? Raise your hand. Yeah, like all of us have a not-so-perfect story. Like, there's things in our lives that just didn't go the way we thought they would go. It's like, God, I thought it was supposed to look like this, and then it looks like this. Or, man, I thought my marriage was supposed to go like this, and then it ended up like that. All right, man, maybe some of you are like, man, I wish I could have picked a different family to grow up in. <laughs> all, all of us have these sort of moments in our lives where life didn't quite work out the way we thought it would. And that's where we have to trust God and step into this idea of grace and second chance and new beginnings and do-overs and, and, and believing that God can take broken things and make them beautiful again. That, that God can take what, what our society says is worthless and, and God can make it worthwhile. And my message is simply this, and I, I, I preach this from stages, and I write this in my books. It's like, like I want to remind people, just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you are a mistake. And just because you failed doesn't mean you're a failure. And yet we live in a world and a society right now where, where the forces of darkness are fully funded, aren't they? And the shame machine and the judgment machine is fully operational. In fact, the world loves like whenever you, we screw up or mess up or we don't fall in line or we don't do things appropriately or, or, or people aren't happy with our decisions. What do they do? The, the world says, shame on you. But Jesus has a very, very different message, doesn't he? Where the world says, shame on you, Jesus says, shame off of you. You are forgiven. You are made new. You can have a fresh start. That's what I love about Jesus. That's what I love about the good news of the gospel. It's like broken people like you and me kind of go, hey, yeah, I'm messed up. Yeah, there's some things in my life that didn't work out the way I thought they would. Yeah, I'm trapped in these certain sins and activities. And like, thank God for grace. Thank God that he isn't giving up on me. And so as we live out as, as people of the second chance, as we embrace this message, it's like my whole life, I, I just want to show up each day and I, I want to be like a grace-flavored snow cone on a hot judgmental day, right? I just want to come like all the people who are about to quit and all those people that, that are giving up on themselves and all those people feel labeled and stigmatized and, and feel like they're defined by their worst moments. I want to remind them like, no, 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 no. That, that all may be sort of true, but let me tell you about something that's truer than that. God loves you. God believes in you. God is for you. God takes our messes and turns them into this amazing message. God takes our mistakes and our brokenness and all that stuff that has gone wrong in our stories. And he uses it 
for his kingdom. That's what I believe. That's why I'm excited this morning. That's why I'm happy. That's why I'm smiling because I know that, yes, life is not perfect. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, I realize that there's brokenness in my life, but, but God is doing a new work. God is, is offering you and I a new beginning every single day. It was a true story, story of a, a woman named Elizabeth Henson. And Elizabeth Henson was doing some spring cleaning. She was cleaning out some of her closets, and she went in one particular closet, and she was pulling out some old coats and shirts and sweaters that she no longer wore and no longer wanted. And, and she, she grabbed this green coat that, that had holes in it and was kind of stinky and was out of fashion. And so she would, took this whole pile of clothes, and on top of this pile of clothes was the green jacket. And she's taking all of it out to the garage to throw away and get rid of. And as she was making her way out to the garage, her son stops her and, and says, hey, mom, can I, can I have that green coat? And Elizabeth Henson looks at her son and says like, uh, this green coat, the, the one that smells like mothballs and the one that's stained and has holes and is out of fashion. He's like, yeah, that one. She's like, she didn't understand, but she's like, all right, son, here you go. Take the green coat. And so uh, Elizabeth Henson's son goes and he takes the green coat and he takes it into his little workshop and he gets out a pair of scissors and he begins to cut out this little frog body. And then he gets this ping pong ball and he cuts this ping pong ball in half. And Elizabeth Henson's son was named Jim. And Jim Henson was creating the very first Kermit the Frog out of this old stinky green coat. And there he is, right? Kermit the Frog. And like, and like Kermit, can you imagine? Here's the thing about that story. Like, can you imagine if Jim didn't have a, a different vision than Elizabeth had? Like Elizabeth said, this is a throwaway. This is a, this is a waste. This is no good. This doesn't have value anymore. Like, let's get rid of this. And Jim's like, whoa, 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 time out here. I think I can do something with that. And, and I don't know about you, but can you imagine if Jim didn't do that? Can you imagine a world without Kermit the Frog? I sure can't. Honestly, like to be completely transparent, a world without Kermit the Frog is a world I don't want to live in, Okay. Like this frog is it's just like, he was such an icon of my childhood and, and Sesame Street and the Muppet movie and, and singing the rainbow connection on that swamp and that little boat and the banjo. And like it, the, Kermit has, has entertained millions of people and brought joy and happiness and love and life. And it all was true and became true because Jim had a different vision than Elizabeth did. Jim saw a stinky, yucky, smelly, holy green coat that was about to be thrown away and says, I can do something with that. And so as you look at your life and you look at your story, there are things right now in your past and maybe even in your present that you're going like, God, uh, I don't know how you're going to redeem this. I don't know how you're going to turn this into something beautiful. I don't know how you're going to use this for your kingdom. And he's saying, let me try. Just put it in my hands. 
I can do something with old green coats. I love, I love um, just this, this idea of God taking the things that the, the world says is worthless and has no value and, and, and to be thrown away. And God says, no, and my kingdom is the upside down kingdom. My, my kingdom doesn't make sense and my moves are going to be confusing sometimes, but it's true. I can take your pain and I can transform it into something powerful. I can take that, that messy childhood and I, I can write a story of love and hope and overcoming. But we got to put it in his hands. Maybe the big idea that I want to leave with you this morning is, is simply this, is that, that God wants to take your story of hurt and transform it into a story of hope. That God wants to take your broken dreams right now and he wants to awaken better dreams. And the challenge for you and I, so we try to live out as people of the second chance and trust that God can actually do this, is just saying, God, I surrender it all to you. Take it. Because we've tried to fix it, right? We've tried to do something with it and it hasn't worked that very well. Or maybe we've tried to hide it. Maybe there are things in your story that you feel deep shame and embarrassment about. And you're like, God, that's off limits. And you put that back in like the closet that's never to be opened 10 years ago. And you're like, God, we're, we're done with that. And God's saying, man, has it been healed? Has it been transformed? Has it been placed in my hands? Have I been able to like infuse hope and love and potential into that mess? We got to trust them. Think about my own story. And I tell people every, everywhere I go that literally in every decade of my life, I've had a rock bottom, on my face, completely powerless, out of control. You know, the fire has burned the forest down experience. Well, there was this incredible deep betrayal by a friend where I almost lost everything to uh, being sexually molested by a, by a friend of the family when I was young. To when I was 19 years old, I was on the Colorado River and I was driving a, a ski boat and I was pulling a skier and I was behind the wheel and the skier motions to me that, to turn around and so I began to turn the boat into what I thought was clear water. But it wasn't clear water. There was another skier who had fallen from another boat and was waiting to be picked up and because of the speed that I was going and because I saw him too late, I wasn't able to turn the boat in time. And I hit him. And I didn't just bump him. I didn't just sort of brush by him. I literally ran him over. Where the propeller of the boat, as he went to protect himself, the propeller of the boat ran down his arm and then broke off in his head. And just in a split second, life can change, can it? They would medevac the skier out um, to the emergency room, he would barely survive. He'd be permanently disfigured because of the trauma and the, the blade of the boat running down his arm. He'd suffer a little bit of brain damage and have to go through physical therapy to get back to um, fully functioning. And there'd be uh, a court case. I'd be charged with reckless operations of a boating vehicle and there'd be a lawsuit. And then, of course, the shame and the guilt that I felt about doing this to this man. And I realized it was an accident. And everybody would tell me, Mike, it was just an accident, but that didn't matter to me. 
How many of you have maybe experienced moments in your life? I call them toothpaste moments, where the toothpaste comes squirting out of the tube, and no matter how hard you try to get the toothpaste back in the tube, you realize it's not going back. All of us have been there. It's like, God, I I just want to redo on that. There's no redo. God, I I just want to erase the tape. There's no erasing the tape. God, I, I just want to rewind the film and... It's out. It's done. On purpose, not on purpose, intentional accident, it's out there. And now what are we going to do with it? I'll tell you what I I have discovered over the course of my failures and my moments of being flat on my face and powerless and out of control is that, that when I am in that place, I turn to the Lord because he's the only one who can fix it. It was weird in that moment, and some of you may do this Um, as you think about different sequences of your story of pain and traumatic moments or decisions that you wish you didn't make, that maybe that night that you got in the car after drinking too much or maybe the messy divorce or whatever it might be, what, what, what tends to happen is in that moment we begin to write new rules for our lives. So one of the rules that I wrote for my life at that time was because I had messed up so bad on the water, because of all the damage and the carnage and the lawsuits and the criminal case and all that, because I had screwed that up so bad that now the new rule for my life was that the water was now off limits. Now, if you know anything about me, I I live in San Diego. I love the water. I love being around the water. I I love the sound of water. The water is healing to me. But, But because of what I had done, I now wrote a new rule for my life. The water is off limits. And for 19 years of my life after that accident, I lived by that rule. My rule, not God's rule, my rule. And some of you are doing that right now. Maybe you've been betrayed by somebody. And your new rule for your life is, I'm no longer going to trust anybody. Or maybe you've gone through a really difficult relationship or, or maybe you went through a messy divorce and you're like, hey, man, I had my chance at love. No more love for me. What rules need to be unwritten today? And what's crazy about these rules is they make perfect sense to us, right? They make, it made so much sense of I screwed that up so bad on the water. I am no longer out of honoring my victim, honoring what that happened that day. I will no longer enjoy the water. I'll just punish myself for 19 years. I will live under shame and condemnation. I will be defined by that moment. And God says that is not the plan. That's not how it's supposed to work. Mike, you're forgiven. Mike, you can have a fresh start. I can take that, that green, your own green coat and, and transform it into something beautiful if you let me. And so as we think about God, I, I, I just love the verse in uh, Revelation 25. It says, behold, I am making all things new. And you know, anytime the Bible says the word behold, basically what that, that word is there for, it's, it's basically saying that what I'm about to say next is not going to make any sense to you. Remember in Matthew chapter 1, the angels comes to, to Joseph and, and the dream is like, behold, a virgin will give birth. What? That doesn't make any sense. 
In the same way, behold, I am making all things new. Some of you look at your story right now, it's like, no way, Jose, like that's not going to happen. That's as crazy as a virgin giving birth. I don't know, God, how are you going to take this mess? How are you going to take this abortion? How are you going to take this addiction? How are you going to take this, this loss? How are you going to take this childhood? Like, how are you going to make all things new out of that? He will if you trust him, if you let him. Here's what I believe. It's the basic theology of Mike Foster. This is how I like kind of summarize the whole gospel and everything that I read in the Bible. It's simply this, that, that there is nothing so broken in your life that God doesn't know how to mend it. And that there is nothing so lost in your life that God can't find it. And that there is nothing so dead that he can't resurrect it. And can you trust him with that truth? Can you say like, God, God, take my green coat, take my boating accident, take my divorce, take my, my addiction, take, take, take this family that I grew up in, take, take my sadness and my grief and do something new. How do we do that? How do we live as second chance people? First thing is we got to grab, grab a hold of your second chance. Stop blocking it. Stop resisting what God's trying to say to you and do through you. Stop trying to control it. Like we resist God's love. God's just, like for me, I, I, I wrote the rules about how my life's going to work and what my story's going to be and what I'm going to tell people and what I'm going to believe about the accident and what I'm going to believe about this and that. And God's like saying, can I... Can I have a voice in this? Can I say something about that? And, and so we block it. You know, they did a really interesting story or an interesting study about Christians. Folks just like you and I come to church on Sundays, sing worship songs, small groups, whole deal. And what they found is they, and they surveyed thousands of, of Christians. And they asked Christians, like, when God thinks about you and your story and your life, what is the overwhelming feeling that he has towards you? And you know what people said in this survey? The majority of people said that when God thinks about me, the overwhelming feeling that he feels towards me is not love, is not pride, is not joy. The overwhelming feeling that God feels towards me is disappointment. Disappointment. What's going on? Like some of you have this intellectual idea of grace. You're like, yeah, grace for the guy sitting next to me. Grace for him, grace for her, but not for me. Some of you are in a relationship with God right now. You're trying to perform. You're trying to succeed for God. You're trying to do something great for God to earn his love and his approval because you are operating under a theology that God is somehow disappointed in you. And here's what I want to say to you is that if you think God is disappointed in you, then you don't understand God very well. God loves you. He is crazy about you. Like when you wake up in the morning, he's like, woohoo, I'm so excited. I'm so pumped. They're up. Let's do some stuff today. He, he is overflowing with pride and he smiles when you get up in the morning. And yet we live under this sort of this heaviness of, of feeling like we're disappointing God. We've got to stop that. Some of you, 
you're resisting um, God's second chance and living as second chance people because you're being defined by a label. You're, you're allowing our society to stigmatize you and label you and define you. And part of living as people of the second chance says this, is like, we are not defined by our brokenness. We're not defined by our worst moments. We are defined by God's radical love. We are the beloved. That's our identity. That's the only identity that makes any sense to us. It's like, we are loved by God. And what does it mean to be the beloved? Because I know some of the men in the room right now going, I don't want to be the beloved. That sounds like a chick flick word or that, that sounds really girly. Well, let me tell you, be lo- to be the beloved is basically the, the instructions for the word and how to live as the beloved are in the word itself. Be loved. Be loved. When you screw up, be loved. When you, when you let people down, be loved. When you feel insecure, be loved. It's not, you know, the instructions aren't be perfect, be successful, be pretty, be thin, Beyonce. I, I you know it's, it's like, <laughs> but that, that's not the instructions. <laughs> the instructions are be love. Let God love you. And when you start doing that, Man, that's, that's when the good spiritual stuff starts happening. That's when I start growing. That's when I, my life begins to change. That's when the, the, the heaviness of my not-so-perfect story begins to lift off my shoulders. I love what uh, Romans 9.25 says. It's basically my life verse. It says this. It says, all call nobodies and make them somebodies. All call the unloved and make them beloved. That's who you and I are. And I think for some of us, this message, this message this morning, this message is, is, uh, is not just a sermon. For some of you, this is going to be an intervention. Because you have lived so much of your life saying, I'm this or I'm that. I'm that failure. I'm that mistake. I'm what, I'm, I'm what my mom or my dad said about me when I was young. I'm what society says about me. Maybe the voice that when you start listening is God's voice. And I, I work with people all the time. I'm counseling with them. And sometimes I just, I just want to put my hands on their shoulders and like look them in the eye and like be really strong and really forced to like ask them this question. Like, don't you know who you are? Don't you know? You are whole. You are free. You are forgiven. You are an overcomer. You are a survivor. You have been rescued. You have been redeemed. That's who you are. You are a, a son and a daughter of God. You are a prince and princess of an almighty king. That's who you are. So let's start living that way. It's being hung up and, and labeled and defeated and, and burdened by some label that just is not true of you. So in order to live as people of the second chance, we've got to embrace and hold on to our second chance and start living as the beloved, knowing who we truly are. And then finally, how do we live as second chance people? So we've we got to give away second chances. Now here's what I, I've discovered. That's why I kind of harp on this, this idea of you knowing that you're loved by God and like beating that drum over and over again until we get it. Is because here's what I know. It's like loved people love people really well. Freed people can go out and free people. Forgiven people forgive people. 
So we got to get it right in our own lives. We got we to understand the concepts first in our own story. Not so it's just about us, but that we can go change the world together. We can bring hope to this city. We can be these lighthouses of love out there. See, we're not meant to just be reservoirs of God's love and grace. We're meant to be rivers that flow out into our hurting world. I love what uh, Romans 8.15 says. It says, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? Like some of you say, well, I'm disqualified from God's work. I'm disqualified because of my story, because I've screwed it up, or I'm not holy enough, or I'm not spiritual enough, or I'm not good looking enough, or I'm not as awesome as Pastor Herbert. Like you, you've disqualified yourself and you're standing on the sidelines. But here's the thing about God's kingdom and God's grace. It's like everybody gets to play. Everybody has a role. And so I, I, I want to ask you, like, maybe, maybe you're bored with Christianity right now. Maybe you're bored with, with God. Maybe you're like, oh, geez, I don't know about this whole thing. Like, maybe the reason why is because you're not waking up each morning with great expect, expectancy and saying, what's next, Papa? What can we do? Like, I, when I wake up in the morning, I go, like, God, listen, I'm going to do my stuff. But, man, I, please, like, use me at the gas station. Use me at Taco Bell. Use me with like put some people in front of me that I can love and encourage and hug on and high five. And, and that's, what, that's what it means to embrace our second chances, like to be filled with his love and then to bring that love and that hope into the world. And every single one of us meet people every single day who need to re be reminded that they too are the beloved. One of the things that we're doing at People of the Second Chance is we're, we're throwing what we call prodigal parties. They're really just parties. They're love parties. They're celebrations of second chances. And what we're doing is uh, inmates who are getting out of prison, we're just throwing them a, a crazy, you know, fiesta party. And just we want to celebrate them and remind them that they're loved. And, and it's just really based on the prodigal son story where, you know, this younger son asks for his inheritance, like, Dad, give me my money. And, and Dad gives him his money. And, and the son goes out to, I don't know, Las Vegas or Atlantic City or wherever he goes. And he, he blows it on bottle service and hookers and the whole thing. Like, he he's blows all his money and he, he comes back home. And, and what happens? There's no speech, there's no, you know, father kind of wagging his finger at, at the son going, oh man. There's no like, hey, hey son, I, I'm not sure if I can welcome you back. I'm going to need to pray about this uh, tonight and maybe, you know, or maybe you can work off some of the, the money. Thing. What, what does the father do? No speeches, no sort of humming and hawing, no, no praying about it. Father looks at the son like, let's party. We are going to party here. And I think the church, we get so focused on, on the older son or, you know, are we the older son? Are we the younger son? Are we the father? And we forget that in the midst of the most beautiful, profound story of the gospel that represents the heart of Christ is a party, a celebration. And so that's what I want to do. I want to be more about a theology of guacamole making and a theology of, of cheese dip, right? And, and so we... Uh, we have a friend uh, named Ramona, and Ramona uh, was serving a life sentence in prison. She was uh, dating some guy, and she was in the room, and his, her boyfriend was selling drugs, and the cops come in. They bust him and her, and uh, she, 
refuses to testify against the boyfriend. And so the prosecutor charges her with conspiracy, which then gives her a mandatory life sentence for being in a room with her drug-dealing boyfriend. Like, if that's not whacked, I don't know what is. And so Ramona is serving a life sentence and served 21 years of a life sentence until just a few months ago, President Obama granted her clemency. And so, yeah, man, we need more of that. And don't get me going because I'll get going on that. But I'm a, so that's, that's a whole other message. I'll come back some other Sunday and we'll talk about how whack that some of our sentencing laws are. But, but the... Uh, um, so we said, Ramona, I know you've been treated for 21 years like a number. I know you've had your, your value and your dignity stripped away by the prison system. I, I know like some in our society would say you're a threat to society. But we don't believe that about you. We want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate this second chance. And we want to throw you a party. And she was good at that. And so we invited her family and, and her, just everybody got involved. And even police officers, by the way, came to the party. And uh, instead of me telling you about Ramona's party, I want to show you Ramona's party. Check this out. so great, man. We, we prayed for Ramona. We celebrated Ramona. We, uh, we danced the Macarena. It was, it was awesome. And that's what second chance people do. We, we remind people that they too are the beloved. That is not hopeless. That they don't have to listen to what society says. They don't have to listen to the lies anymore. And so we, uh, this morning, we, we have an opportunity. I'm really excited about this. So wherever I go, I, I bring my little book, and it's a good little book. And by the way, this is the shameless promo plug part of my, my message. But one of the things we're doing is um, I got my book in the back, and the proceeds from this book go to help fund prodigal parties like Ramona's. And we just been, like, this uh, 2017, we have a goal of doing, like, 100 parties We've done like 25 so far, and we want to do 100 more in 2017. And so you can pick up the book. Um, it's just about how to bring life-saving love to the world, how to embrace our, our not-so-perfect stories. The book just hopefully is like a, if we could sit down for a couple hours at Starbucks, we can talk about you and your story and um, have a little conversation. That's what this is. And so they're going to be out in the back for a $20 donation. All that's going to go to fund the prodigal parties and just remind people that 
that God is not done with them. We all need each other. We need your story. We, we need your mess. We need your green coat. We need your boating accidents. We need all the things that haven't gone right because when we together remind each other of that, yeah, life is not perfect. Life is hard. Life is not fair. But when we come together, we go, man, all that is true, but God is good. And that he takes nobodies and makes them somebodies. He takes the unloved and calls them the beloved. Guys, he wants to take your story of hurt if you let him. He wants to take your story of hurt and transform it into a story of hope. That's what he's doing in Ramona's life right now. That's what he's been doing in my life, Pastor Herbert's life, and many of the people here. Let's hand our not-so-perfect stories over to God. Say, God, do something. Transform it. Make it beautiful.